Take your Bibles and turn with me to Zechariah, Zechariah uh, chapter number 1, and we're thankful that you're with us this morning. Uh, this morning's, uh, the morning service at 9 uh, is, uh, we had such a good service. Uh, God is blessed, and I'm thankful for that. If you were looking for a service that is not as, uh, now it's, it's pretty full, but uh, this service here, it's hard sometimes to find seats. Uh, some days you can't find seats. We do have an overflow in, in one of the rooms there you can watch. But if you ever like to, to switch and come to the 9 o'clock, uh, it's the same message, the same songs, the same specials, the same everything. Of course, it's a different time. It's a, it's a little earlier, but you could find, uh, you could find another class, and we're going to add to some classes and make some classes available for you, and uh, we're trying to even them out. If you if you know, really, before we start a third service, we're trying to even things out so we can do that. Uh, and 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 uh, you know, COVID changed a lot of a lot of things. You know, it used to be uh, eighty to eighty five percent, and you were full. Uh, now it's sixty percent. Sixty percent, you're full, uh, just because of of just the way people's their mindset now and and setting close to people and stuffed and and all that. So we are well over sixty percent. We're over eighty percent. Uh, we're probably ninety seven percent in this service. So if if you really are uh, wanting to to switch over, uh, you could, and it's the same. Everything's the same, and it really is. And so. Uh, we say that. Just consider it. Pray about it. Uh, we're um, we got some ideas for for some things, just to make some room, and we'll share uh, some of that in the weeks ahead. Last week, if you missed uh, the the beginning of Zechariah, many people, I would dare say, has never heard an exposition through the book of uh, through the book of Zechariah. You've maybe heard some uh, messages kind of plucked through, and there's some great text in Zechariah. It's a prophetic book. And so sometimes men will stay away from prophetic books. They, uh, in today, it's, it, we look at that as a difficult passage, visions, and what does this mean? So a lot of times a man will, will preach uh, what is easy or what is known, and, and uh, that's good, that's okay, but sometimes we need to go to the hard text and explain them because there's always application. And not all of the Bible was written uh, uh, to us. Uh, some is written to the Jews, some to the different ones. But, but all of the Bible was written for us. And so we can take application and look at it, and how does, this, how does this apply to us today? You know, if you've been a Christian for a very long time, you, you've, you've had times in your life, if you were sincere, if you were honest, you've had times in your life where you've wondered where God was. You've had times, maybe you're in that time right now. I met with a lady right before the, right after the first service. Her son, I've got to be careful, we're live streaming, but he's in our U.S. military, and he's being deployed to Israel right now. Got the call, he's with special forces. And listen, I'll give his name at another time. Our church will be praying, but listen, you pray for this young man. He has a, a very important job, and he kind of told his mom a little bit, but he can only tell her just so much. But, but listen, uh, th- these are times that we're living in where, where some people, this woman was sitting right here knowing that her son called yesterday and said, hey, I'm, I'm on my way to, to the war zone. And uh, she came out just weeping, saying that the message encouraged her today. Uh, but you don't know what the person beside you is facing. You don't know what the person in front of you is facing. And there's sometimes when we're going through a trial or we're going through a burden that it just seems like the heavens are brass and uh, it looks like as if God's just kind of avoiding you and think you're just going through troubles and trials. And to make matters worse, you've noticed that many of your non-believing friends are having it better than you are. Sometimes you're looking at a non-believer and you're thinking, well, I work, for these, uh, work with these people and I, 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 uh, I love these people, but they don't believe in God or they're not saved or they're, they're just they're living life for themselves. And it seems like that they're having it better than those that trust God and those that are saved. And can, y'all, can y'all identify with that a little bit? Sometimes we have an Asaph moment. Remember Asaph in the Psalms where Asaph had, had, was looking upon the wicked and he, it looked like they were prospering and Asaph was having a pity party and he was questioning God. And then it wasn't until he went to the sanctuary of the Lord that God gave him that perspective that, hey, the wicked may be prospering now, but their end is not going to be good. 
And may I remind you that it looks like the world may be prospering now, but can I assure you that the world's outcome is not going to be good. The life of the believer, the promise of the believer, the future of the believer is way better than the future of the non-believer. We're on the winning side. I remember being a senior in school and I remember, uh, uh, in, in, and I was a senior in Bible college, and, and you know, usually your senior year is not supposed to be your most difficult year. But my senior year was my most difficult year. It just seemed like I was uh, having a terrible time, and I thought about going home. I thought about, um, uh, I called my mom and dad. I'm not really a quitter, but I called my mom and dad, and I said, Mom and Dad, I, I gave them the scenario. I gave them the reason I was discouraged. I said, Man, it just seems like everything's against me. It seems like uh, this is going on, and this this professor, this is doing this, and it just seems like I'm having a tough time. And I, I'm going to pack my bags, and I'm going to come home. I'll maybe finish some other time. And I was so discouraged. On top of that, uh, I worked at a place, a secular place, and I was helping to pay my school bill, and I was working with people that were not living right, and they were not believers, and it seemed like they were going to parties and having a good time, and everything was just all great in their life, and here I am serving God, trying to do His will, trying to uh, learn about preaching and ministry, and, and it just seemed like everywhere I turned, it was a trial. You've been there. Now, eventually someone came in my life and encouraged me, and I finished that year and graduated, and I'm thankful that I did. I'm thankful that I stayed. But you understand, we've all been in that place where we've had our eyes on other people and got our eyes off of Jesus. We get our eyes on the world, if you will, and their prosperity, and we forget about how good God has been to us. Now, your details may vary, but it's the same plot. You're, you're trying to follow the Lord, and you have nothing but trials. Meanwhile, someone around you who thumbs his nose at God seems to have, uh, he's having a grand, grand old time. And you wonder, what's going on? You wonder, has God forgotten me? And you wonder, why do the wicked prosper and the godly suffer? I don't understand it. The Jews to whom Zechariah is ministering to were struggling Jews with that issue. 50,000 Jews, if you remember the text last week, 50,000, the, the remnant, a third of the Jews, had left uh, Babylonian captivity under Darius, and they had went to Jerusalem. All Jerusalem is is rubble. There's no temple there's no walls, there's nothing. But there was a man that had a vision. His name was Nehemiah. Nehemiah, if you want to read about that, you can go to Nehemiah and read about Nehemiah. And he had a man along with him by the name of Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel's instruction was, Nehemiah, you build the wall, and Zerubbabel, you build the temple. Well, there was two prophets in that day, at least two that we know. Of course, there was Ezra the scribe. But then there was a prophet by the name of Haggai. Haggai was preaching during this time, and Haggai had a message. He said, after the years of, of the 50,000 that have come to Jerusalem, you started to rebuild the temple, but you then stopped. You got discouraged, whatever the case, and they began to build their homes. Their homes were lavish, their homes were nice, and, and the temple laid uh, in ruin, if you will. It was not being built yet. And so Haggai's message to the Jew, in just two chapters, if you want a good understanding of, of Zechariah, go to Haggai and, and read Haggai. But the message to, to the Jew from Haggai was, let's, let's get our priorities right. Let's start building the temple the way that God wants us to build it. And by the way, the temple was even more important than the walls. That was the house of the Lord. So Zerubbabel is getting the, the, the construction fired back up and Haggai's message got the people refocused and they begin to build the, the, the temple. Well, then here comes another prophet by the name of Zechariah. Zechariah preaches a message and the message is, Return to me and I will return to you. It's a message of turning and changing and repenting and coming back to a God who loves you. By the way, that's a great message for us today. So then on the 24th day of the 11th month, five months to the day from when the people had begun to rebuild, the Lord revealed to Zechariah eight visions. 
Matter of fact, the vision starts in verse number 7 of chapter 1, and there's another vision that keeps going, then another vision, all the way through chapter number 6 and verse number 15. Eight different visions that God reveals to Zechariah, and they kind of develop the same theme, which is stated in chapter 1. God remembers His chosen people and that He will punish the wicked and bless His people in an appointed time. As I said last week, Zechariah's name, his Hebrew name, it means whom the Lord remembers. There's another name in chapter 1 by the name of Berechiah. Berechiah means whom uh, uh, the Lord blesses. And then there's another name. His name is Idu. His name means at the appointed time. So if you want to know the theme of Zechariah, just put those three names together. The, whom the Lord remembers, the Lord blesses at the appointed time. This is a very down time in the nation of Israel. They're just now returning to rebuild the temple. They're just now returning to rebuild the walls. They're hearing the truth of the prophets that he's preaching. They know the message, but they have not turned back to the Lord. And Zechariah is preaching that message. All of a sudden, God reveals to Zechariah in verse number 7 a vision. This is what he would do in the Old Testament. He would have a vision. Matter of fact, Zechariah has eight visions, and they're all very prophetic. The first vision is described, and look with me in verse number 7 of Zechariah chapter 1. The Bible says, Upon the four and twentieth day of the eleventh month, which is the month Sabbat, in the second year of Darius came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Idu, the prophet, saying, I saw by night, and behold, a man riding upon a red horse, and he stood among the myrtle trees, and there was in the bottom. And behind him uh, were the red horses, speckled in white. Then said I, O my Lord, what are these? And the angel that I talked with, uh, with me said unto me, I will show thee what these be. And the man that stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are they whom the Lord hath sent to walk to and fro through the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord that stood among the myrtle trees and said, We have walked to and fro through the earth, and behold, all the earth sitteth still and at rest. So there's peace. The vision is there's a man on a red horse and there's other horses. uh, Some, the Bible says, speckled, uh, meaning spotted and, and white. And these, this vision is they're among myrtle trees. Their myrtle trees are, are about 30 feet tall. They were used in Nehemiah chapter 8 for uh, the Feast of Booths. You remember they would build these booths in symbolic and they would stay in those booths to remind them where God had brought them from. And it was a great day in Nehemiah chapter 8. They would use these trees to, to, uh, to do all that with, to build these booths. And so these were not flourishing, tall, big, beautiful uh, cypress trees or, or big trees that would be uh, used uh, as you would think about, cedar trees. These are little myrtle trees, and the Bible says they're in a bottom. That is a ravine. And this is where they're, they're at. And this vision described is, as Israel is in a very low spot. Israel is not up on the mountain. Israel is not a victorious people. Israel is in the bottom among the myrtle trees, a a lowly tree, a a ravine, if you will. And, and, And there's a rider on the horse, a red horse. And then there's some other angels, if you will, behind him, lesser angels, on other horses, speckled and white. And commentators agree that this myrtle trees or these myrtle trees in the ravine symbolizes God's lowly people, the Jews, and they're not stately cedars on mountaintops. And the myrtle is very significant in the book of Nehemiah. The horses, they represent God's activity in governing the earth. And the red horse points to war. Now remember this, war and bloodshed. So the white horses, they always, white represents victory. And so the sorrel or the speckled horses, they represent a mixture of of judgment and mercy. I'm laying some groundwork, but remember this vision, it's very important to the future of Israel. And so Zechariah asked the interpreting angel, 
what the vision means in verse number 9. Look with me in verse 9. The Bible says, Then said I, Zechariah, O my Lord, what are these? And the angel that talked with me said unto me, I will show thee what these be. So the angel explains that the writer in verse number 10 is are, are those whom, uh, or the writers rather, are those whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. If you look at verse number 11, they're patrolling the earth and their announcement was that the earth is still and that the earth is at peace and there's really nothing else going on. Now remember, Israel is living in chaos. They're living in destruction. There's nothing but rubble. Jerusalem had been burned. Jerusalem ha- had been destroyed by the enemy, and they had been pulled out of in, into captivity. Israel had been in captivity. I mean, they are desolate. They are discouraged. And this vision comes to Zechariah. It's a vision of Christ and his angels in the midst of God's oppressed people. This rider on this red horse is a pre-incarnate Christ. And he's visiting the lowly people. Can I say, in just prefacing the message, the first statement is this, there's often times when it seems that the wicked are at ease and the godly are forgotten. That's the message that the angels reported back to Zechariah. Look with me in verse number 11. It says, we have walked to and fro from the earth. And behold, all the earth, notice that phrase, all the earth sitteth still and is at rest. All the, it's quiet. Did, and, and you can imagine the Jews are saying, well, it's not quiet in our life. It's not been quiet in captivity. It's not been quiet when 50,000 of us went to back home and we found that the, 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 the uh, rubble and we found that the temple had been destroyed and that the walls had been torn down. It's not quiet here. See, this is a common picture throughout the Bible that for 400 years God's chosen people were slaves in Egypt while God waited on the iniquity of the Amorites to be filled up. And during the times of Christ, Israel had been under foreign domination for four centuries. Now think about this. For 1,900 years, Israel had been scattered because of their disobedience in rejecting the Messiah. 1,900 years. Israel was all over the place. All the Jews went all, north, east, south, west. They were scattered abroad. And you think about even the Holocaust. Think about that in the, in the, uh, uh, the 40s and the 30s and all of the, the concentration camps and all the persecution. Over a million Jews were slaughtered and, and gassed in chambers and death camps and all the things that happened to them. But in 1948, the Jews had returned and May 14th, 1948, nation was, the nation of Israel was announced and declared and stated. And by the way, all of that was prophetic. Now, this consists in Scripture, this picture in our text should should teach us some lessons. Because here's what the the verse, look at verse number 12. The angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long? Look at that phrase. How long wilt thou not have mercy on Jerusalem and all the cities of Judah against which thou hast had indignation these three score and ten years? Notice that. If you, if you got a little pen or you got a little highlighter or something, circle that or mark that. How long? Have you ever been in a situation? You ever been in a situation where it seemed like the trial would never end and you questioned in your mind or you questioned even out loud and you said, how long? Look at what the angel, the angel basically interprets what Zachariah is probably thinking. How long? How long is this going to last? How long are we going to have to deal with this? How long are we going to have the enemies of God rise up against us? How long is this going to take place? You look over in Hebrews chapter 11, there's a group of people over there that served God faithfully. We call Hebrews chapter 11 the hall of faith. 
I challenge you to go over to Hebrews 11 if you never have. And the writer of Hebrews states a list. He, he gets specific about that list. And he says, these people were people of faith. And they, they walked by faith. They were men of faith. And they did these things. And then it goes to an unnamed group of people. And the Bible says about this unnamed that some of them experienced mockings and scourgings. In chains and imprisonment, they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death but the sword, they went to sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and ill-treated. You ever been walking by faith in your life, you're trying to do right? I'm sure these people that's listed, or maybe the ones that are not listed, many of them maybe had an outcome in their, in their mind, they thought that... Uh, maybe this is going to be a better outcome or this is going to end a little better or whatever. And so they had this outcome in their life and it did not turn out the way that they thought it should. You ever been in a situation where you, you thought things would maybe end up a little better, but it didn't? Some of you are actually sitting in a seat this morning and you thought that things would end a little better or that they would be a little better currently than they are right now. Now, some of you may be sitting in a better place than you thought, and praise the Lord for that. But there's many of you that said, you know what? I never dreamed 10 years ago that I would be in this situation. Boy, can time not change things, right? Israel never dreamed, I'm sure, hundreds of years before, they never dreamed that they would be in captivity. They never dreamed that the temple would be ruined. They never dreamed that the walls would be burned down. They never dreamed these things, but here they are. And they're in this situation in the very gutter. The Bible calls it the bottom, the ravine of life. And sometimes when we read the Old Testament, we skim over these visions because we don't understand them. But put yourself in the mind of these Jewish people today. Think about returning back to your hometown only to find a place that you love, only to find it desolate and destroyed and the places that you loved are, are burned up and they're messed up and you're sitting here wondering why. Why? Why is it that my enemies hate us so much? Why is it that we are so oppressed? You can put yourself in the text a little bit and you can kind of take your mind and stick it inside the scripture and you can, you can put yourself there because the Lord is visiting these people in the very lowest point. This is who He is. The Lord was gracious to explain the meaning of things to the prophet so that He could comfort God's people. I want you to notice in... The second statement, I said the first statement was this, that uh, there are often times when it seems the wicked are at ease and the godly are forgotten. But the second statement is Christ encourages us with His powerful presence, His prayer for us, and His promises. Now here's the message. You, I've been kind of laying the groundwork. We understand, and I want to review, we understand that 50,000, church, listen, 50,000 are coming or have come back to Jerusalem. And they began a work. They stopped for a little while, but then they had a revival. Haggai preaches that revival, and they begin to rebuild that temple. And Nehemiah has constructed some walls, and they had their priorities wrong, but then they eventually got them right. And they're building this temple, and Zechariah says, listen to me. If you never want to get back in this condition again, return to the Lord and He will return back to you. Now, here's the second thing. Christ encourages us with His powerful presence, His prayer for us, and His promise. Go back with me, uh, Zechariah chapter 1, and, and go back to verse number 8. Here's what Zechariah sees. He saw by night, a, behold, a man riding. This is a Christ in the midst of their people, in their humiliation. He's the defender. This is Christ. He's not lowly Jesus that came to this earth later uh, in, in the New Testament and, and was beaten and, and, and uh, battered and crucified and bloodied for our sins. No, this is a Christ and He has come back to take the avengers of Israel down. 
And he's standing with his people in verse number 8. And he's standing on a red horse. The red horse is not a white horse as far as a, a symbol of victory. It's not a speckled horse of mercy and judgment. It's a red horse. The red horse symbolizes blood and war. And this man, a pre-incarnate of Christ, is standing on this horse in the middle of this ravine, encouraging with his presence. Christ is taking his place with his people among the myrtle trees and the groves and the ravines and reminds them of, it kind of reminds me of the three faithful witnesses in the book of Daniel. You remember when Nebuchadnezzar had those three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they would not bow they would not bend. And so they had a big bell prophet there and they were going to say at the sound of the trumpet and the, the instruments, everyone is going to bow in, in uh, subjection and authority to this, this uh, idol. And so everyone bowed, but those three Hebrew boys stood there and it was reported back to the king. And the king said, well, if anybody didn't bow, I said, I, I do appreciate these boys. He had some respect for them boys, but he said, I said what I said and they're going to burn in the fiery furnace. He took them three boys, they threw them in there, they ramped up the fire, and they're in, the, I mean, it was so hot, even the men that was trying to build the flame and throw them in, they suffocated at the heat that this furnace was, was producing. And they're burning, they should have been consumed right away, but when Nebuchadnezzar looked inside the fiery furnace, he seen three, uh, at the beginning they threw in, but there was a fourth man in there, he said, how many did we throw in the fiery furnace? And they said, well, we threw three in there. He said, lo, I see four. And the fourth is like the Son of God. This reminds me that in the lowest time of persecution, in the lowest time that Israel had faced, in their humiliation, in their degradation, here Jesus shows up even before he came to earth as a lowly baby. He shows up on a red horse and reminds them that his presence is real. You ever been in a situation before? A trial where you just needed to know that the presence of God was real. You ever been in a situation, maybe it was a bad doctor's report, maybe it was something that came into your life, maybe it was a wayward son or a wayward daughter, maybe it was a marital situation, maybe it was a situation that anybody else could be standing there. And I appreciate good friends that stand with us during fiery trials and during things that go on, but can I tell you, there is no friend that will stand by you like the Lord Jesus Christ will. He's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother, and he's standing with the people in whom he loves. He standing with them at their lowest state. And I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ personally went into the flames with those Hebrew children. And this is a picture of the angels on war horses in Zechariah's vision. It reminds me of the story of the king of Aram. You remember the king of Aram? He was so upset with Elisha. And he was telling the king of Israel his every move before he made it. So he foolishly sent his army to surround the city in which Elisha lived. And when Elisha's servant went out to get the morning paper, he looked and he saw the armies encamped around the city. And so he ran back inside distraught and, and alarmed. And Elisha calmed him by saying, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed. And guess what God God did. God opened the eyes of the servant and he was able to look around and see that the armies of the Lord was greater than the armies of the enemy. Hey, sometimes we just need to pray, Lord, open our eyes that we may see your presence. Why? Because around us is encamped a host of angels that is protecting us and watching out for us. It ain't that God needs angels to take care of us. We know God is our protector. We know God is our refuge. But can I tell you, it's so encouraging to the child of God that God has an army of angels that watches out for us and protects us. And God, listen, He doesn't always open our eyes to the unseen world, but Scripture assures us that His angels keep watch over His chosen people. And not just His angels, but Jesus Christ Himself. He promised to be with us until the end of the age and that He would take us good news throughout 
the world, uh, throughout the world, uh, we take the good news of the gospel throughout the world. And when it seems that God's, uh, the wicked is uh, uh, God's enemies and the wicked are rising up against us and you're suffering, trust in God's promises, trust in His presence, and trust in, number two, His prayer. I want you to look at verse 12. Something happens. After they receive the news that the enemies are at peace, that everything in the world seems to be going okay except where you're at, the Bible says there's a little shift in the story. Look at verse 12. There's a little mark there. It's a change. Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, this is the interpreting angel, how long will thou not have mercy on Jerusalem and all the cities of Judah? against which thou hast had indignation three scores. This is 70 years. That was the captivity. They were in captivity these 70 years. And the Lord answered the angel that talked with me with good words and comforting words. The first thing that Christ does for us is He encourages us with His powerful presence. He is there. But the second thing the Lord does is He prays for us. He prays for us. This is an interceding. He's interceding. How long, how long will thou have mercy? And the Lord answered and said, Hey, I'm speaking good words. These are gracious words, comforting words. There's an intercession that goes on here because he's praying. Before Zechariah could even think of what to pray in light of the godless nations being at ease, the angel of the Lord intercedes with a question to God. This angel looks to God and says, how long? How long are the people going to suffer? They've already suffered 70 years. How long? He begins to pray. Isn't it a beautiful thing that the Lord does not rebuke Zechariah for even thinking how long? Now the angel's just asking God what Zechariah was thinking, right? You ever been in a situation before, listen, you ever been in a situation before where you thought, how long is this going to be? How long do I have to stay in this? That's exactly what's going on here. And it's a picture of beautiful grace of our Lord that even after we believed in Him for salvation, we have sinned so many times. We deserve so much temporal punishment that He sends our way. And even the most godly Christians feel as if their prayer life is woefully inadequate. Who can pray or who can say, I pray as often and as faithfully as I should? There's nobody in this building today that can say that. There's nobody in this building today that can say, I pray enough. There's nobody in here that can say, my prayer life is good. I think all of us can agree that our prayer could improve our faithfulness in praying. But can I say, in spite of our many sins, in spite of our shortcomings, the New Testament assures us that who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ is the one who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who shall intercede for us. Paul goes on to say, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Can I just interject? No one shall separate us from the love of Christ. Hey, no one. I I, I love the fact that Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, is interceding for the people of God. How long? Robert Murray McShane, he was a great uh, Scottish pastor of the 1800s. He, he said this, If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet the distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. Someone else has observed that it is a great blessing to have a godly father or mother who prays for you. But how much greater a blessing to have the Son of God who knows your every need praying for you. When it seems as if the wicked prosper and God has forgotten you, let me remind you that Jesus is on the right hand of the Father. What's He doing? He's praying for you. I mean, this is a a picture of what Jesus is really doing, even in the Old Testament, He is interceding on the behalf of His people. How long is this going to last? Zechariah, how long? God, how long? How long is this going to last? Here's the third 
And final thing that we see in our text is not only does Christ's presence encourage us and not only Christ's praying, praying encourage us, but lastly, Christ encourages us with His promises. There's some promises that takes place. Look with me in verse number 13. And the Lord answered the angel that talked with me with good words and comfortable words. And so the angel that communed with me said unto me, Cry thou, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for the Zion with great jealousy. And I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease, for I was but a little displeased, and they helped forward the affliction. And so God rightfully could have said, The people that they don't deserve uh, my compassion, let them suffer longer. But instead, the Lord answers the angel's plea of how long? With gracious and comforting words. That's what it says in verse number, uh, verse number 13. With good words and comfortable words. Or gracious words and comforting words, which are spelled out. These, these words are spelled out in verses 14 through verse 17, where he basically says three things. And these are good things. He says in verse 14 that he is a jealous for Jerusalem. Now notice that. Jealous for Jerusalem. That means that he has a jealous love for his people. It says that he's jealous for Jerusalem, but notice what else it says. And for Zion with great jealousy. So it's, it's, it's emphatic. Not only is he jealous, but he has great Jealousy. So, so it's like a picture of, of God as a husband fighting for his own wife. You husbands that are in here today, you love your wife and, and, and you're jealous over your wife. Now, I'm not talking about the jealousy that if someone says hi to your wife, you're ready to knock his block off or, or you know, this like crazy stuff. But I'm talking about if, if you, maybe there was a man at work or there was a man somewhere uh, that, that she goes and, and, uh, and he's constantly hitting on your wife and saying he's very flirtatious and finally you find out about it and your wife says, you know what, there's a guy that kind of makes me uncomfortable and he, he's saying these things and I'm just, I don't know. And you're like, where's he at? I'm going to get him. I'm jealous over my wife. Listen, we ought to be that way. And just imagine, God has his people, Israel, and the Bible says that he is jealous. But then he goes on to say he is very jealous. Let me just say this. That was not just for this time. That is the way God still feels today. The people that oppress his people, God is very jealous. It is a jealous love. It's a jealous love. He, he loves. He doesn't just act quickly as we may want Him to. He says we, we may therefore be fully persuaded that even when God withholds His aid, He is not otherwise affected toward us than the best of fathers towards His own children. The only reason for His delay sometimes, it is not always expedient for us to be delivered soon from our trouble. So thus the Lord encourages us fiercely by being jealous love for us as his chosen people. Here's the next thing he says. Look at verse 15. He says, And I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease. So I'm, I'm very sore displeased, meaning that I am righteously uh, angered toward these that are at ease, that keep oppressing. He said, but, but a little displeased at first, but then they help forward the affliction. He said, you know, at first I wasn't as mad, but... They have helped the situation, and I'm a little bit more ticked off than I was. See, God will allow the enemy, church, listen to this, God will allow the enemy sometimes to come in because of judgment. God did that numerous times in the Old Testament. The Bible says that Israel hardened their hearts, they stiffened their necks, and they would not listen. They rejected all the statutes of the Lord. They went after serving Baal and serving idols and serving other gods. And what, what would God do? He would allow the enemy to come in and spoil. But here's what the enemy did. They took it too far. And it ticked God off. Often, the Lord will use the enemy. 
God used these pagan nations to bring judgment on sinning people. But the nations went too far. And when God says that he was only a little angry, only a little displeased, he may be referring to the time that his anger was toward his people, not not to its intensity uh, as it was like in verse number 2. If you go back to Zechariah chapter 1 and verse number 2, God is upset with the nation of Israel. Here he's upset with the enemies of Israel. You know... God will allow things to come in our life that we just don't understand. That brings me to verses 16 and 17, because notice these encouraging verses. Therefore, thus saith the Lord. Anytime you see that, you need to pause. Here's what the Lord is about to say, and it's very important. I'm returned to Jerusalem with mercies. Boy, that's a good verse. I'm returning with mercies. Zechariah, listen. I know what y'all have been through has been tormenting, and I know that you are trying to rebuild this temple. I know that y'all are trying to get Jerusalem back to the glory days, but can I just remind you that I'm bringing with me mercies. I'm bringing with you mercies, with me mercies. And notice, here's the promise, meaning promises. My house shall be built in it. Boy, that's good. Whose house? Well, it's the Lord's house. So this is a prophetic thing. He says, he says, Zechariah, the temple will be constructed. And by the way, this is the same temple that Jesus went into and worshipped. Same temple. The same temple that Jesus went in and overthrew the money changers. This is the same temple that they are constructing right there. He says, my temple shall be built in it, saith the Lord of hosts, and a line, notice this in verse 16, shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. This is not a judging line. This is a prospering or a prospering line. This is not going to be a line of judgment. This is going to be a line of prosperity. Listen, Zechariah, Haggai, Nehemiah, Zerubbabel, I'm going to prosper Jerusalem again. That's what he's saying. And by the way, the Lord did, and he's still doing it, and he's going to continue doing it. Amen. He's going to continue doing it. And so these promises were partially fulfilled even in Zechariah's day. Yes, the temple was built. Yes, the walls were established. Yes, Jerusalem was expanded upon. But the ultimate fulfilling will be during the millennial kingdom. And I think it's interesting that Charles Simeon, who wrote in the 1800s, actually affirmed that the Jews would return to the land. Now think about this. The nation of Israel, they're all over the news right now. I promise you, if you're to go home right now and turn on the news, uh, as far as the, the, the headlines, Israel would be mentioned within a few seconds. If not, if not the time you, you, you uh, turned it on. It, it's the current situation. That's how we do in the world now. We move from situation to situation. It's like every day. But what's new today? Well, Israel has been on the mind and the heart of every people and the tragedies that's going on. And you understand that Israel is promised. God is not through with Israel. He's promised a future for them. I mean, he's not done. Matter of fact, if you were to go over to Revelation, you'll find that even in the very last of Revelation, some of the Jews are still saying, Lord, where are you at? And the Lord comes through with them in the very end. And by the way, victorious. There is a future. And sometimes we don't see. We're, we're, we're currently sitting in the ravine of life and we're around the myrtle trees. You know, if you're around the trees in a bottom, you can't see nothing. You can see everything on the mountaintops. You can see everything when you're looking. Hey, just a few weeks ago or uh, about a week and a half ago, my wife and I were out west and we were uh, staying in the Grand Teton Mountains. I mean, it was a beautiful thing. And those are gorgeous mountains, but we would go over that Teton Pass every morning. And you would look over and you could see as far as the eye could see because you're up above everything. It was beautiful. You could see a lot of of Wyoming and you could see some of Idaho behind you and you could see some of the, uh, the National Park and you could see all kinds of things. We'd get our binoculars out and look and you could see for miles and miles. But down in the ravines, you can only see a few feet. Israel was in the ravine. Have you ever been in the ravine of life? 
Some of you are in the ravines now. You're down there in the bottom among the trees and you cannot see the big picture. But can I remind you, God can see the big picture. God is reminding Zechariah, here's the big picture. I have and going to prosper you. Now notice verse 17. Cry yet saying, thus saith the Lord of hosts, my cities through prosperity shall be yet or shall yet be spread abroad, and the Lord shall yet comfort Zion, and shall yet choose Jerusalem. This is a promise that even is occurring today. God has a plan for Jerusalem. And by the way, God has a plan for you. And sometimes we can't see it. We just focus on the, not the sweet by and by, we focus on the nasty now and now, right? I mean, really, we just get so, um, you know, we love to look at, ah, boy, I can't wait. I, you know, first of the year's coming up, and we all set these goals, and we, but by March or April, sometimes the goals are not met. We get discouraged, right? We've done thrown our New Year's. Listen, people make New Year's goals, and they're so excited about them, and by the end of the month, they're garbage, Right? I mean, they are. People's like, I'm going to exercise every day and eat healthy. Listen, by the third day of January, you're already just into Little Debbie Cakes and <laughs> sitting on the couch eating bonbons, watching, uh, watching uh, New Year's Day bowls and all that. And you're like, man, that diet, I was going to plan it. Well, I'll do it next year. You know what I mean? We just, yeah, it's always next year. Well, Israel was sitting down in the ravine, and they're just sitting down there kind of sulking. How's this going to work? And the Lord shows up in a vision and reminds Zechariah, that I have a plan for you. He shows them the big picture. I like the big picture sometimes. A few weeks ago we shared on the screens in here the big picture, we call it a master plan for Bible Baptist Church the next 10 years to 15 years. Oh, it's exciting. Sometimes we get, I get aggravated. I, I'll drive up on the, uh, the, the parking lot and, and, uh, and, and sometimes I'm thinking, Lord, I wish this parking lot was already paved and I wish there was parking spots for our people. I wish we didn't have to park on this gravel and, and it's messy and sometimes it's, it's, uh, it's, it, it can be a little, uh, you know, just frustrating and I understand that. But God reminds me that, son, this is just a little bit. You're stuffed in here, but one day there's a plan and God has a plan for the church. I love the, the plan that God has, but then it's bigger than that. God has a plan for the Christian. God has a plan for the church. And God has a plan for the Jew. And he's revealing it through prophecy, through Zechariah. I had a buddy that called me this week. And he said, Steve, he said, my, uh, he, we hadn't talked in a while. And he was just telling me, he said, I, asking how things are going. Well, that, that, like two days before, his refrigerator went out. And he said, man, you talking about aggravating. We had just went to the store and bought a bunch of stuff. The freezer and refrigerator went out. He said, we went, we went overnight to a place. And he said, uh, we um, came back yesterday morning and the refrigerator was completely, it, the freezer wasn't working. He said, it was an old refrigerator. He said, it had been a good one. And so uh, we were talking about it. And he said, you ever had that happen? I said, no, and I, not really, not like that. And so he said, I'll tell you what beats that he said I went to Lowe's and he said I went to go buy a refrigerator and the salesman I don't understand this but the salesman said the, the one that they chose said I can't sell that to you he said now hold on a second he said uh, you mean to tell me the floor model that the one they were sitting there he said I can't buy the floor he said we didn't have that one in stock he said can I buy this one he said no he said and here's what he said if you want that particular model you'll have to go to Home Depot. Now listen, let me tell you something. Let me just tell you all something. COVID did a lot of things. But what COVID really did was customer service is unbelievable. The dude just, he works for Lowe's, but he said, if you really want that one, go to Home Depot. Now I don't know if Lowe's really knew that he did that. So, so my buddy and his wife, this was just a couple days ago, they leave Lowe's and they're mad as hornets. They get in the car and they said, we're not going to Home Depot. Not tonight. It was like 8 o'clock. He said, we're going home. He said, what are we going to do? We'll have to get coolers with ice. We'll have to do the best we can. We've lost some of the stuff already. And so they're aggravated. I mean, so aggravated. 
So they're, they're griping all the way home. They get home, and he says, well, let me tell you something. I'm going to Google home repair and see if somebody in appliance can come out and at least look at the refrigerator, because they've been talking about replacing it. Look at the refrigerator and see if they could, you know, maybe fix it. Maybe it's something that they, they can fix. So calls the home repair, and eight, it's like 8.30 at night, and the guy answers it, old country boy. He said, hey, it's Bart's repair. And the guy, and he's like, hey, uh, could you come out and look at our refrigerator? And, and, and he goes, yeah. He said, y'all still awake? Y'all still, y'all? And he said, well, what do you mean tonight? And he said, yeah, I'll come out tonight. Y'all don't live that far away. He said, about 30 minutes later, here come Bart, walking in with his tools, looking at our refrigerator. Nine o'clock at night, a service call. So we go from you can't have this refrigerator to old Bart coming at nine o'clock at night, first time he called. He's like, man, this is crazy. So the guy starts working on the refrigerator and found that it was just a little part that needed replaced and fixed the refrigerator. Him and his wife were like, this is amazing. So Bart's about to leave, and all of a sudden he said, the Spirit of God said, witness to Bart. Witness to him. So my buddy runs in his room, he, grab, he opens up a drawer, grabs a gospel track from his church, runs back out and says, Hey, Bart, before you leave tonight, I want to give you something from my church. So Bart said, Sure. So he opens it up and he says, Man, do you go to church anywhere? Bart said, No, I don't really go. And he said, Man, a lot of times Sundays are crazy and the service repair stuff. He said, But I need to go. I just need to go. He said, Bart, more importantly than going to church, is do you know the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior? And Bart says, I don't believe I do. And right there on the front porch, my buddy led the service repair guy to the Lord Jesus Christ. The service repair guy left. My buddy walks back in. And the Spirit of God just starts, you didn't know it. You were so frustrated about this refrigerator and so mad and so disappointed and you and your wife just talking all kinds of things. He said, but you didn't know it, but the big picture was I had a man that needed salvation. You had to go through some rough stuff. You had to be frustrated a little bit in order to see the big picture. You know, a lot of times we go through things, we're in the ravines. We can't see what God's doing, but all along, God is leading someone in our path that needs the Lord Jesus Christ. God had a plan for Zechariah. God had a plan for Israel. And God has a plan for you today. Let's not get frustrated with God. Let's not get bitter at God. Let's not look at our enemies and get our eyes on our enemies instead of the Lord. Let's trust Him in His comforting words, in His gracious words. He has a better plan.